Hello and welcome to a playoff edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio 810 WHB. Wherever you get your podcast, wherever you stream your video content, doesn't it feel good to say that? Playoff edition. It is here. Playoffs, baby. Sporting Kansas City and San Jose Earthquakes. It's less than a week away now, Sunday afternoon at Children's Mercy Park. I am Nate Bucati with you, joined as always by Allie Trost. Allie, how are you? Doing well. Just uh, exciting times right now in Kansas City sports. You've got Chiefs and Sporting KC on Sunday and playoff football back in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Kansas. Feels great. Midwest versus the Bay Area all over the place. I mean, that's what we're going yeah. for this week. Carter Augustine here as well. What's up, Carter? How are you? Feeling great, man. It, it, like Ali just said, it's uh, an exciting time. You know, we missed out on this last season. So uh, missed the feeling of, of, of playoff soccer and MLS playoff soccer and it's single elimination now, uh, which sporting hasn't done yet. So this is going to be a fun one. And it's single elimination with home field advantage throughout the Western Conference after two years ago. It, losing in the conference finals to Portland and then they switched the format to last year not getting in you wonder man sporting got the timing wrong there and uh, when will sporting get that one seat again well they didn't have to wait long uh, the very next year in the crazy topsy-turvy 2020 they did it and we've got a big show for you coming up today on the next segment we're going to have Roger Espinoza with us Roger is spearheading a very important effort to help his home country of Honduras. It's a poverty-stricken country already that has been ravaged by a direct hit of a massive hurricane, Etta, and it's got another hurricane bearing down on it right now. And Roger and some of his fellow Hondurans who play in MLS gotten together to try to raise some money. So we're gonna talk about that with Roger. Plus we're also gonna talk MLS playoffs and his quest for his first ever MLS cup, by the way, that's the one trophy he hasn't gotten uh, that Sporting Kansas City's won during his time as an SKC player. We're also going to talk with broadcaster Daniel Slayton from the San Jose Earthquakes and try to give you a real peek inside this San Jose team because you haven't seen them yet this year, at least not against Sporting Kansas City. Maybe you're a big diehard MLS fan. You've watched some of their games, but we haven't seen SKC versus San Jose because of this unbalanced schedule in 2020. So we got that all coming up, guys. And while we're talking about great causes – there's also a cool uh, campaign that's been launched by Sporting Kansas City uh, coinciding with the playoffs. The, 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 the slogan for, for Sporting Kansas City these years, or this year in the playoffs, is as one, trying to play off of the idea that in this community right now, we all need to come together as one, not just for the playoffs, not just for sporting, but just as a, as a city to help one another out, get through this year and support each other. And so they've put together... A, uh, a breathing mask that's nice. It's got the cool indigo blue and sporting blue stripes on it. And it says as one across it. And Carter, you can buy this mask. And if you do, you're donating money to harvesters uh, to, to feed 18 people. Um, and right now we know that that is a massive need in Kansas City right now. Exactly. And, you know, seems like coronavirus is uh, just ramping up, unfortunately. And so, you know, what does this winter and this holiday season um, uh, have in store for us? And we saw that a lot of people were struggling to to find food. Um, I, I think those the numbers of people starving in the United States went up during the, the first half of the year during this these COVID restrictions. So 
you have to anticipate that will be more of the same uh, if we get under more lockdown and quarantine measures. So uh, people need help and, you know, especially at this time of year. So it's a, a really good cause. And like you said, it feeds 18 people if you buy masks. So um, it really goes towards a great, great cause. Go to sportingkc.com. And you can see all the details right there by the mask uh, while supplies last. I'm, I'm thinking they're going to sell out pretty quickly. So jump on one as quickly as you can and, and help again, 18 meals for people in Kansas City that need it with one mask. So, uh, and, and it's a perfect mask to wear this week to get ready for the playoffs as well. All right, guys, uh, let, let's talk about this game a little bit coming up. Um, I've had a lot of downtime the last couple of weeks. So I've been going back and watching a lot of San Jose earthquakes games. And I got to be honest, I know that I don't know about you guys. Usually when it comes this time of year, you can start to build up that opponent in your head pretty good and convince yourself that any team is a worthy opponent. Uh, but I don't think I'm doing this here. I think this is a very dangerous San Jose team. They looked like they were almost quitting on their manager earlier in the season when they were starting to have some blowout losses two games ago. They had their last home game of the season. They clinched a playoff spot uh, against LAFC. And I watched the whole post game. And Carlos Almeida, their head coach, gathered the team together and gave them this rousing speech on the field. And the players were jumping up and down. Chris Wondolowski's going crazy. The whole team, they seemed 100% bought in with what the team's trying to do right now. Ali, I think this is a dangerous San Jose team that's coming to Kansas City on Sunday. Absolutely. And when a team comes in with that underdog mentality and not just the underdog mentality that's been put on them by the league because of the way that, like you mentioned, they really did struggle during that winless stretch. They turned things around. They only lost two times in their final nine games of the season. They were on a, a huge, a huge run there to clinch that playoff spot and seem to get stronger both, you know, in confidence, in their, in their playing, and, and just the quality of play. Um, and then to see, like you said, that, that post-game celebration, when a club is bought in, and not just bought in, but bought into all of what makes them special. I loved kind of reading some of the post-game quotes at, from Wondolowski, and, and that their mayhem, they, they embrace this kind of crazy, wild season that they, they've had so far. It's what makes them the team that they are. And so when a team is just so accepting of, you know, the, the challenges, the successes, I, I just feel like mentally they're in a really good spot coming into this game. That said, I would also argue that sporting Kansas city is also mentally in a really good spot coming into this game. And it's interesting. I almost feel like both of them have this underdog kind of storyline that they're writing going in to this playoff game, sporting Kansas city and underdog, I think in the national picture, I think they've kind of been counted out a lot of times, even though they've maintained a really strong spot in the standings while this San Jose team has completely turned things around through the peaks and valleys of their wild 2020 season. So underdogs in very different ways, but both teams, very fiery, very passionate. You mentioned um, their coach, Peter Vermees, another fiery, passionate coach as well. So I think the energy in this game is going to be outstanding. It's just going to be a matter of which team can settle down dominate with their style of play and as a result find the back of the net first because I think that scoring the first goal for sporting which is always important in major league soccer and soccer in general but in this game in particular taking San Jose out of the game quickly 
we've seen the floodgates open time and time again with this team when they lose, when they concede, it tends to, uh, to go pretty bad from there. So I think that'll be a big goal of Sporting's in this game. I think you're right. The energy is going to be such a huge aspect, and that's because of the way San Jose play. And, you know, we've heard it uh, the last two years with Matias Almeida there that they play this kind of man-marking all over the field style. And that lead that can lead to some some frantic games, some energized games. And I'm really curious to see what Almeida can do with two weeks preparing for one opponent using this style. It's not they're not seeing an opponent after four or five days rest like was happening for the majority of the last couple of months. So he'll have a long time to tailor make that style to fit specifically against how sport in Kansas City play. And I'm really fascinated to see how that tactical approach comes. Of course, on the flip side, Peter Vermees will have the opportunity to uh, to try and adjust his team to how San Jose plays. Now, it could be uh, it's going to be a little difficult, I think, for a scout team for sporting to replicate the way San Jose plays because because it's so unique. But I'm really curious in that aspect. And and, and I think you guys are right. Matias Almeida has always been known as a, a big motivator and a big rah-rah coach. He was like that as a player during his fantastic playing career. So, you know, you don't earn 40 caps for Argentina uh, being a bum. So, you know, he was a great player. Uh, he's brought it into his coaching career. Alan Polito has, has said that he enjoyed playing for him at Chivas. We've seen some videos of him hyping the guys up at Chivas and they're, it's, it's incredible. And, and as Nate said, we just saw it for him for San Jose as well. So I think he'll probably have that team motivated. The energy in midfield is going to be such a huge uh, indicator of how the game goes. But for me, I think the difference is sporting just has a few more playmakers on offense. I think a, a few more match winning type players on in attack. Um, and, and hopefully those guys show up on the day for sporting, because for me, that that's the difference between these two teams this year. So, Carter, you mentioned Alan Polito's time at Chivas with Matias Almeida. We don't know if Polito's going to play in this game or not, but I just wonder how much do you think he can help Sporting Kansas City prepare for this game, having known his system and the way he operates from the inside? It's a great question. Um, I, I'm going to try and ask a few players that this week and, and see if he has any inside info, but to me, I don't feel like he can bring a whole lot um, other than, you know, this, they saw San Jose twice last year. Um, maybe he can uh, illuminate the fact that it's one V one battles. We're going to hear from Roger Espinosa and his experience playing against them last year uh, coming up later on the show, but um, it, it doesn't seem, I don't know, Ali, if I'm wrong here, but it doesn't seem like rocket science, perhaps. It just seems like, it really becomes these 1v1 battles all over the pitch. Yeah, and and that's going to be the key for sporting in all areas of the game is to win in those one-on-one battles. And I think the midfield play is going to really indicate which team's going to come out, uh, you know, with more possession, uh, you know, just dominating the game. It's going to start in the midfield. And, and one area that I'm really interested to see with this sporting Kansas City team, because we've seen a player like Jalen Lindsay playing fullback in place of Graham Zussi. We've seen him really take steps forward in each of his games. I'm interested with him in particular, as well as John Luca Busio, as well as their roles have evolved this season, now going into a playoff game where a coach like Matias Almeida could create a, a, a mismatch 
defensively for a, a young, more inexperienced player like Jalen Lindsay, Amadou Dia as well who has played a lot more with Sporting Kansas City, but two relatively young players. I think it's going to be really important for Sporting's two veteran center backs, a player like Roberto Puncic with Winston Reed, Matt Beasler, and then you've also got um, Andre Ufantas, experienced players who are going to really set the tone defensively, and I think communication will be key there as well because you've got one of the best attackers in Major League Soccer history and Chris Wondolowski. And, and if Sporting has a hard time on the attack, like you said, Carter, being a key for them in this game, having all of those um, key players, Johnny Russell, Jerso Fernandez, Kyrie Shelton, Eric Hurtado, uh, et cetera, you know, they've got plenty of players who can put the ball in the back of the net. If for some reason it's not clicking or it takes a while to get going, you can't let them in this game, even though they don't have as much talent in the attack as Sporting Kansas City does. So I think sound, you know, defensive efforts and then solid play in the midfield, winning those one-on-one -on -one battles and trying to find ways to counter. They they play the high press. They do the one-on-one, -on -one miss, you know, battles throughout the field, but they're weak on the counter. And so if Sporting Kansas City can find ways to get behind their defensive line and, and get Gerso in for a breakaway to score a clutch goal, I think that's going to be uh, how I could see goals maybe coming for Sporting in this game. It's a couple of things that come to mind there. It's, it's like there's there are some basketball principles that all of a sudden come into play when you're talking about this man marking because even those of us that have played basketball, when you're playing against a man-to-man -man defense, the key to breaking it down a lot of times is the guy with the ball getting, getting his shoulders past his defender because now the everyone else on defense has to make a decision. Do I stick with my man? Do I rotate over? And that makes things a lot more difficult than if you have a system that's set up that I'm kind of guarding more of this area here. And um, you can really unbalance things quickly if you can win that 1v1 matchup that Carter's talking about. And then the other one that, that you just brought up, Allie, is – Look, it's always important, I think, in part of Sporting KC's game to turn the other team over and to strike quickly before they have a chance to organize their defense. Might be even more important in a situation like this because if you think about it, when San Jose are in possession, they're not man-marking, right? They're getting themselves into position to find space so that they can be an option on the ball. Uh, once they turn the ball over, they've got to quickly get from being in space to marking their man. And so if you can turn them over in situations where they're not set up well to, to handle it defensively and attack at that point before they're organized defensively, that's when we've seen, I think, them really start to struggle and break down defensively. And that's one thing that I think Sporting KC, Carter, are pretty darn good at. And they've, I think they've got to do a really good job of disrupting things in the middle of the field getting some of those big turnovers and when they get them striking quickly to, uh, to catch San Jose before they're matched up. Yeah. We, like you said, we've seen that when sporting is at their best, they do a great job of, of creating turnovers in the, their attacking half, the opponent's defensive half and, and going quickly to goal. And we'll see if Fallon Polito and Gotti Kinder are back. Obviously those two would be such huge pieces of to that. And, and Polito leads the line so well and, and Gotti Kinder there to pick up the pieces as well. And, and just to your point of, uh, of beating that first man to create problems, um, I, I think this system really does put pressure on Matias Almeida's players defensively, um, perhaps more than other systems do. And you look at their guy Judson, who, who plays as a, as a more defensive-minded mid, midfielder. He led the league in tackles, 54 tackles. He also led the league he was dribbled past 50 times. He, he led the league in that stat as well. 
He had 138 recoveries, 161 German duels won, which are both kind of up in the in the top 10 range in the league. This guy has been in the wars all season long, and that I think speaks to this system. And so, you know, as as much as we're looking at the, the sporting players having to win these one-on-one -on -one battles, it does put a lot of pressure on uh, San Jose and their midfielders especially. And just like you said, Nate, it, if they turn the ball over quickly, those midfielders will have some some troubles uh, defensively getting back to their players, but um, but yeah, it's a it's a really really fascinating matchup. We will take a break. We're going to talk with Roger Espinoza coming up about his Honduran relief efforts and about this playoff game coming up against San Jose. That's right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content. We appreciate you joining us as always. Nate Bucati, Ali Trost, Carter Augustine with you and joined now by the one and only Roger Espinoza. Roger is uh, doing some really important humanitarian work right now we're going to talk about. We'll talk about the playoffs as well. So, so Roger, we, we are going to talk uh, MLS playoffs with you, but there are more important things than soccer in the world sometimes. And this uh, is one of those times on many fronts, but there's an initiative that we spoke about on our broadcast of the last sporting game, um, the, the snow game in Utah that you were already undertaking with some of your, uh, your, your friends and, um, and cohorts from, from Honduras. One hurricane had already smashed through your home country and done some devastating effects. And now we understand that another one is hitting the region right now. I know this one's maybe a little bit more centered on Nicaragua, but it's hitting Honduras as well. Um, so first, before we get, get into what you're doing, how much have you talked to people back in Honduras? What are things like there right now? Can you kind of paint the picture for us from what you understand? Yeah, absolutely. They're, you know, right now they're not as, as bad as it is. I haven't heard much. Um, you know, but obviously from Hurricane Eda, and I thank you guys for uh, for moving so fast. I didn't know that you guys were going to be in, um, showing some support on the day of the game against South Lake. Uh, so that was great. A lot of support been from you guys. Uh, and people in Honduras is feeling that support and that love from from you guys and sporting people. So that's, that's great to know. Um, so far right now, I haven't heard much. Uh, just from what I can tell you, it's just the Hurricane Eda. And uh, that's pretty much it right now. So Roger, what have your efforts been up to this point to raise money and, and help the, the entire country? So this is how it started pretty much, knowing that the elections in America and all that was going on, not much media was put into, media attention was put into what was going on in Honduras or around the world. There's no international media at all. Um, knowing, you know, me being from Honduras and knowing a lot of friends, a lot of people, and staying in contact with the media in Honduras, I got to see that, there, hey, there was actually, uh, there's actually a, a huge problem going on. The hurricane, Eda definitely did destroy Honduras. And then you see people, um, you know, pretty much uh, above their houses because the water has completely covered the entire home. So at that moment, I knew that something had to be done because uh, a huge percentage of the coast area in Honduras um, had gone on the water and it was millions of people. So I said, you know, we have to do something about this and started thinking about the initiatives I can take. 
got in touch with Minor Figueroa from Houston Dynamo, and we started, um, you know, brainstorming what the best outcome could be because a lot of players help. A lot of players, the international players from Honduras, MLS, are put, but each of us are helping only small areas where we grew up. So I thought that we needed a, a more broad help. And we decided that, you know, hey, why I don't, we try to do a video and try to put it out there. And knowing that, hey, and the platform we are right now, we can have people like you guys uh, be in the media uh, help us. So I went to Robo and, and Patrick and said, hey, listen, I want to kind of do this. This is my plan to do. And uh, what I plan to do with the rest of the players and Robo and, you know, Sporting and Patrick jumped right on board right away and got things moving within hours. It was crazy all the support. Uh, even uh, Carter and and Jordan with video and helping me with what I need to say and Spanish and English. I mean, everything just went fast and I'm very happy and I, you know, I cannot thank them enough for all their support and all the effort they have done. And so that video went out and that video was done by all the players that play in the MLS. And from there, uh, it's crazy the support that has been for down in Honduras. Uh, and that was the main goal is to raise awareness for what's going on in Honduras right after the election passed. And people can see now that, hey, there's actually a humanitarian crisis going on in Honduras. Uh, not only is it a hurricane hit, but hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic and people is in shelters uh, sleeping next to each other with other families. And that just even creating an even more humanitarian crisis and it's not safe for people. And so this is what is worrying me and everybody else in Honduras that, hey, we need more help than, than uh, we can do as Hondurans. We need to get to the audience in the United States and international where people can see that, hey, we need that help. So that's where a, a brief uh, story of where it all started pretty much. Well, uh, props to you, Roger, and, and to your, your Honduran teammates for getting this thing going. And um, I, I know I was looking at Opera, uh, Operacion Frijol, which is one that you had recommended, and seeing the impact of your guys putting this out in the MLS community and in, in the United States. Uh, you've seen the monetary impact already, um, but still need, if you're listening, they need Honduras needs help and you can go to mlssoccer.com slash hurricane or uh, Honduras dash relief sorry Honduras dash relief um, and, and Roger this what's interesting to me is we had had a separate conversation this summer where you told me that um, hurricanes were like actually pretty pretty common common and, and prevalent in, in Honduras and and they never really get the attention here in the United States is that true that uh, that this is something that has happened a few times in Honduras over the years as well, this, this hurricane season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had a, I can tell you the decades that happened in 74, 98, and 2020 right now. So if you look at a, a hurricanes, Honduras being a very small country, completely changed the geography, completely hard for the people to get back up. You know, usually we see when crisis happen in America, it takes over a decade to get, to get, um, back up and then Honduras being a third world country you can see that they're very low in resources so that just affects the country and and the social life that people could have because they lose everything every time every 20 years that we can say they they lose everything they have so it's it, you know at this time being in this type of platform that I am right now I thought that uh, it would be the right time for me to you know hey raise awareness and 
and with this pandemic, it just made it more more worry for for Honduras that hey, you know, we need to do something about this. Okay, so another way that uh, that you can read all about this and. Um, and, and make your donations, just go to sportingkc.com. There's a, there's a link right there with an article about what Roger's trying to do. It kind of talks about the three different organizations, the Humanity and Hope United Foundation, which is working to assist underserved villages in remote parts of Honduras. Uh, Carter talked about Operacion Frijol, which is trying to help combat the COVID-19 outbreak with everybody living in these community shelters and then food for the poor as well. You can click on the links to all three of them right there. You can pick if there's one uh, cause that you like more than another. Just go to sportingkc.com and look for the article about Roger and what he's trying to do in his home country. So uh, Roger, we, we certainly appreciate your efforts there and we encourage everybody to, uh, to support the cause any way they can. Now uh, we'll transition to soccer for a little bit, Roger, if you don't mind. Mentioned that uh, we talked about it during this, uh, this game against Utah in which you guys clinched the number one seed in the West. It's a couple of weeks ago now, so I don't know how clear the memories are, but that seemed like one of the most unforgettable games, at least for me, that I've ever watched for sport in Kansas City. You know, driving snow, orange ball, a lot on the line for you guys. What was it like to play in that game? I, I mean, fun because we won, but the weather was absolutely not fun. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I would not play another game like that. Uh, but we knew that we needed to go go there and win because that definitely secured playoff uh, first place and the rest of the games at home. Um, and so our mentality was that, hey, we're going to play and we're going to do everything to win. But uh, it was a great feeling at the end. But during the game, I can tell you that my toes and my hand were freezing the entire time. Uh, but very happy that we were able, you know, to, to stay mentally prepared uh, throughout the entire game. And um, I'm just happy that we came out with the win and, and on top of the West. Top of the West, which means number one seed home field advantage through the playoffs, which all starts on Sunday against the San Jose Earthquakes. How's this week at training been? And where do you sense that the team's mindset is going into the playoffs after having missed out last year and getting back again like you did in 2018? Yeah, absolutely. This has been definitely a tough year for, for everyone, uh, even in the world of soccer, uh, in our team. Uh, it's been uh, very scary moments uh, with the pandemic going on, but, you know, we still stayed uh, very, very concentrated on everything and what our goal has been throughout the year. Coming from a year that uh, finished at the bottom of the West, uh, we knew that uh, this year we had to be mentally prepared, and that's what we've done. I mean, uh, given all the circumstances this year, uh, you know, we were always fighting. We, like, you know, Sporting also didn't give much media attention either. We were, we were always been top three, but, you know, we, being a small market, it usually happens. But uh, we stayed, uh, you know, always the true to ourselves, and we knew that uh, each game was very important. And we went to uh, play in areas where they were very tough, but just like the South Lake game, and we knew what the game meant. Um, so I say, you know, going back to the playoffs and how ready we are, I, I think we've been ready, ready since, uh, this year started. And, and even when we stopped and came back, um, uh, the bubble and all that, I think the team stayed very sharp and, you know, and, and ready for anything that was to come. And I think, you know, we just proved that right now that we're ready, that we went out to a very hostile environment, which is the in South Lake with the altitude, the, 
the snow um, and a few other fans uh, didn't treat us well. Uh, it's always difficult to play against and the players. I like being a, a very tough team to play. Everybody knows what stake, regardless in what position you are. So we knew that was uh, going to be a tough game and, and we knew that was uh, almost like a playoff game just because of the environment we had to go play. So absolutely, I think we're ready for it. Well, now you guys are, are playing host to San Jose Earthquakes. And with all things that have gone on this year, you haven't played them uh, in, in 2020. So uh, first of all, I guess, what's the what's that going to be like playing a playoff game against a team that you haven't seen before this season? Uh, not easy at all, but at the same time, they haven't played us. So it's going to be very tough for them. They have to come into our our, our field, our home field uh, with our with our fans and I mean, I, you know, I always say we have to worry about our game the most. Uh, they're a very dangerous team, I know that. But I think if we uh, play our own game and, and do what we know to do best, uh, it's going to be a, a, a good game for us. Obviously, they're a very tough team. Uh, I say the most difficult team to play in the league right now is, is San Jose for sure, just because sometimes you don't know what they're going to give you. Um, but one thing for sure is that uh, they're – their coach is a motivator and, and they get uh, hyped up for these type of games. Uh, knowing that they're in the playoffs now, not being there last year, they're very excited to come into the game. So I think if we decide to play our game and, and, and do our own job, I think we'll be able to uh, tone down what they're, what they're bringing. So uh, we for sure have to be ready for it. So you, you mentioned their coach being a motivator. Uh, Carlos Almeida, is he as animated as Peter on the sideline or even more so? I mean, that's going to be a heck of a show just watching those two guys during the course of the game, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think they just run the same much as the players uh, going on the, on the <laughs> sidelines. Uh, but, hey, that's the type of uh, coaches you need in the game, you know. You, you know, they do that because they care about the game. They care about the players. And, and you can see Almeida, is, it's, it's one of those guys. You can see that. Uh, you know, regardless of what, how their season went and how everything went, you can see that he has a very neat group in San Jose. You, you, you can see that the players respect him. Uh, and props to him because, you know, I think that uh, those guys were needed that for many years. And so it's great to see that uh, guys like that are bringing their own culture of soccer to the league, uh, their own style. And so it's great. You know, you can tell the players play for him. And Roger, to help add to that energy in Children's Mercy Park, on the field, you get fans in attendance for a playoff game. It's one and done. How much does that help motivate you guys? And, you know, you've played in stadiums without fans all season long, MLS is back tournament, but is there a competitive advantage to having your home fans in attendance for this game? Absolutely. I mean, you get to spend your time at home. You don't have to travel. Um, you know, you drive your own car, you eat your own food. You show up to the game, to your own stadium, the stadium that you used to uh, play in most of the games, and you just added that, the, the fans, you know, uh, which have been great throughout the season and, you know, have done uh, all the protocols that the league has given the club. So that makes it a very safe environment. So when you go down to the field as a player and knowing that these fans that are there, you know, they're there to support you and they made the effort to go in the middle of pandemic to go watch and play. So... Uh, it's great to feel that they're safe and they're only there to watch the game. And, you know, so for us as a player, it gives you that extra motivation to, to keep playing and, and win a playoff game that 
that we haven't uh, done the last uh, year or so. So it's great to be in this position right now. One, one more for me on San Jose, Roger, because it interested me. You saying they're one of the most difficult teams to play against in the league right now. Um, is, does that have to do with that man marking style and, and how it's so different from maybe how other teams play? And, and especially in the midfield, I'm wondering, does it does it put more pressure on individual matchups in, in, in the in the midfield? And, and do you guys really focus on, hey, I have to win uh, these one on one matchups in midfield because of how San Jose play? So, yeah, so I've only played San Jose once, and that was uh, last year, I believe. And um, from my perspective, the guy I was playing against, it, it felt like it was a 1v1 matchup the entire game. Uh, it was not an easy game. Um, and that's why I say it, it becomes like an individual thing when you don't know uh, uh, who's going to be your matchup. So as a player, you have to be ready for, for who you're getting and, and to be to the level of their game. Um, and knowing those players, they usually bring their A game. So it's always becomes a very difficult game in that part. Um, so it's not going to be an easy game. It's a very difficult team uh, that we have to be ready for uh, whatever they bring. Roger, last question. We'll get to, to that chicken before it gets too cold. Don't worry. Um, I think it's kind of appropriate that we're having you on now because back during the shutdown, when we were doing the show, we had you on to talk about your memories winning the FA Cup. And you were over in England, obviously, doing that when Sporting was winning MLS Cup in 2013. That's the only one of the big trophies that Sporting has won that you weren't here for. You, you were part of everything else. I'm just curious for you, how much does it mean, you know, the idea of trying to go out there and get one of those MLS Cups for yourself and the team uh, and, and trying to do that this year as a number one seed? Oh, it means a lot. Um, you know, I've been in the league for a very long time, over a decade. And uh, I would say that's one of my the trophies that's missing on, on my cabinet, as people say. And, you know, uh, the way I look at it is that, you know, you only get one shot. And I'm trying to tell the younger guys and motivate them because you don't know when's next time you're going to be in the playoffs. And so uh, you got to leave every game like it's the last game uh, in the playoffs, like it's the finals. So, uh, you know, trying to motivate the guys. I know the guys already have their own extra motivation. So, um, you know, just trying to give them a little more little more and because you never know when it's gonna, you're going to be at this stage again. And so for me, I know what's at stake and I'm, and I'm ready for the challenge. Well, we're excited to watch it on Sunday afternoon, Roger. Thank you so much for the time. We remind everybody, go to sportingkc.com and you can see the article about what Roger's trying to do in his home country of Honduras mm -hmm. during a humanitarian crisis right now. Give if you can. We really appreciate it. Enjoy that chicken, Roger, and good luck on Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one, guys. All right, that is Roger hey, Espinoza. We'll take a break. We'll talk with Danielle Slayton, who's on the broadcast for San Jose, right after this on the Sporting Kansas City show. Welcome back to the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you stream your video content on the 810 Facebook page, on the 810 YouTube page as well. We are happy to be joined now by one of the broadcasters for the San Jose Earthquakes. Really enjoy watching her on the call of the Earthquake Games this year, Danielle Slayton. And, and Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? 
I am great. I am happy to be here, ready for this international break to be over and to get back to some MLS soccer. No doubt about it. And look, I've I've you know watched you over the years. You've been on the sideline. You've you know you've done different. You've worn different hats. It seems like for the games. Uh, how different has it been this year for you and your vantage point, the way you've called the games and all of that in 2020? I mean, 2020, right, has been bizarre and challenging and wild for everybody, I think. Um, my role has been a little bit different um, for the earthquakes. I've been up in the booth um, uh, and have been alternating with Chris Dangerfield, who's the other analyst that I work with. So we have been calling games alternatively back and forth uh, throughout this last, what, 18 games or whatever, however many months <laughs> we've been going since the MLS uh, is back tournament has been over. And um, it's been a little bit different, like everyone. Um, you know, it's been a little bit strange in San Jose and California. We have not been allowed to have fans at any of the games. So the stadium has been completely empty. But, you know, I'm just grateful that we've gotten some soccer on the pitch, um, that we've been able to to call some games. And it's really exciting for the Earthquakes to be back in the playoffs since for the first time since 2017. An exciting but also wild season for the Earthquakes. So not only are you calling games for a team that uh, makes the playoffs, like you said, for the first time since 2017, but has done so in a wild way, only losing two times in their last nine games to end the season. Where did the turnaround start for this team? I think, you know, at one point everyone's talking about, okay, last place, does that sound right for the San Jose Earthquakes? And then they claw and scratch their way into the playoffs. So where would you, what would you pinpoint as the turnaround for this team? It really has been an ebb and flow kind of season for the Earthquakes. I would say that the turnaround point in my mind was the 7-1 loss they suffered to Seattle. Um, I felt like before then, Matias Almeida was very, very dedicated to his man-to-man -man marking system, his high-pressure system, um, but it didn't fit the personnel and the players that, that he has on the team right now. So I feel like that was a real, a real eye-opener. I mean, there were other eye-openers for sure, but that was the one where I feel like he took to heart um, the errors. He took to heart the the way that the team struggled and I think he adjusted a little bit to me that says a lot about how he can be as a coach and whether or not he's going to have some longevity are you a coach who is willing to adapt and evolve and innovate as needed or are you going to stick to your guns no matter what and I feel like I saw him evolve the team is playing less of a man-to-man -man system they're playing positionally and zonally defensively a little bit more and I think that that um, has really what enabled them to just stay in games and stay competitive, right? They're not giving up five goals in the first 20 minutes. So they give themselves a chance. And I think that has in large part to do with the way they were able to, to see out the end of the season and ultimately find their way back into the playoffs. Were, were some of the struggles in the midway point because of what's going on in the county and how, how tough it was for San Jose to, to train while maybe some other MLS teams were training. They had to go to Orlando early. Was, was some of that have to do with maybe how disjointed it was in the middle of the season for San Jose? I think that certainly could have played a role. Um, but I also, you know, go back to the, the idea that every team has its own challenges and you've got to find a way to, to put it together. I mean, you look at Colorado, I mean, they had crazy challenges, right? And a big gap to their, to their season and yet they're finding a way. So um, you look to the teams like Nashville that didn't even get to be in the MLS's back tournament, right? So I think um, for sure, San Jose has been very conservative. Santa Clara County has been very conservative with COVID restrictions. Um, the earthquakes have had to manage some, some injuries, but 
like everybody has this year. So I don't put a lot of weight in that. I put a, a more weight in the idea that you've got to find a way through. And ultimately the coaching staff and the players did find a way around the challenges they've been facing. It's really interesting, Danielle, to hear you talk about the adjustment they made to maybe not be so beholden to the man marking system, because we just spent two segments talking about how tough it is to get ready for San Jose because they have this unique man marking system. So might we not see that exclusively across the field on on Sunday afternoon? I don't think you will. Um, I think, you know, the the earthquakes will pick and choose their moments to press. Um, I think a lot about leads. Um, if you ever go watch the way that they play or even Atletico Madrid a little bit, like they want to win the ball back right away. And so that transition period, that five, 10 seconds when the earthquakes lose the ball, if they can, if they have good numbers around, they will continue to press and they will go that kind of man to man and be really tight close to the close to the opponent or close to their defenders. Um, but if they can't win the ball back right away, you will see them regroup. Yes, you'll see moments where perhaps an outside back might track a forward here and there, but I feel like more than you've ever seen under Matias Almeida, they are, they're, they're picking and choosing their moments of when to play more positionally and then when they do need to press and track players outside of their zone. So now considering how Sporting Kansas City plays and what mismatches that Almeida might be able to find in this game, where do you see them using their strengths to maybe expose some Sporting Kansas City weaknesses? For me, the earthquake strengths lie in their use of the width. Um, I think when they're playing their best, you're seeing Christian Espinosa on the right. Um, you're seeing Carlos Fierro, who he obviously has been dealing with an injury. So I'm not sure if it will be him or someone else um, on the left, but then getting their outside backs forward. I think Nick Lima is starting to come into his own again. And Marcos Lopez, their outside left back is a new young defender who's starting to get forward. So to me, when they're playing well, they're using Jackson Ewell in the center of the park and Judson to play that diagonal ball, to switch the point of attack quickly and then create overloads in the outside with channels. Um, and I think when they're playing at their best, regardless of the opponent, whether it's Sporting Kansas City or, or someone else, that's what they're trying to do on their best day. Meanwhile, what's uh, on their worst day? Because it's been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team at times. Um, what are some of their weaknesses that that maybe Sporting KC will, will look towards? Yeah, I mean, Sporting Kansas City, you guys just have like a plethora of weapons on attack. I feel like anybody can score, right, on any given day. And so I do think if Sporting Kansas City can get defenders matched up 1v1, your men are pretty good. <laughs> and so does your man beat beat our man? Probably once or twice, at least over the course of 90 minutes, right? Um, so I think that if Sporting Kansas City can look to quickly change the point of attack and not necessarily try to overload channels because you bring more attackers into that channel, guess what? Likely there's gonna be more San Jose defenders coming into those channels too. So if you can look to, to change the point of attack quickly, um, to get 1v1 opportunities and really try to make it so an earthquake defender is on an island, that's when they struggle. Um, when they can stay connected, when they can provide some measure of cover, when they can stay compact and you know really play within a 30 yard distance from front to back, the earthquakes can do well. Um, but when they get stretched and when they get isolated, that's when they struggle. And to, to give the example back to, to Seattle, I think you go back and watch that 7-1 result against Seattle and you see that all day, every day. 
We're visiting with Danielle Slayton. And, and I want to say this because we've spent a lot of time on the show today talking about the chip we have on our shoulder in Kansas City that a lot of the national media seems to be just kind of dismissing SKC as the legitimate number one seed in the West. Um, I was watching, I've been watching a lot of your guys' games and I was watching you and Anthony Passarelli a couple of games ago, handicapping the West. You guys were giving a lot of love to Sporting KC even back then. Uh, so I want to give you guys props for that. Thank you very much for, for showing some love to the SKC team. But um, when I was watching that game against LA in the, the post-game celebration, you mentioned, by the way, no fans. You guys do have people in cars <clears throat> parked yeah. outside the stadium honking their horns and going crazy. But I, I thought, man, this is, this is a team – that is bought in to their manager. He's, they were jumping up and down. That celebration was something. Um, wh why did it mean so much? And what does that tell you maybe about where that team is right now mentally, the, the way they celebrated after that game? Matias Almeida is a passionate man and a passionate coach. And he cares deeply about his players and, and he has found a way to get them to buy into his mentality. Um, he's very demanding, right? If you, if you look at the amount of ground that these guys have to cover, like they suffer over the course of 90 minutes with what he is asking them to do. Um, and so I think that they care deeply about each other. They care deeply about this, um, this club and this franchise. And I also think too, I mean, you guys don't have this problem. You're in the playoffs almost all of the time, right? When you're when you're a team that hasn't made the playoffs consistently, making the playoffs is a big flipping deal. And to do that, beating an LAFC team that you hadn't beaten for five times straight, and then you meet them twice, and you have the chance to to beat them two times in a row um, to solidify your spot, like that means a lot. And I think it means a lot to this area. It means a lot to this club. We'll see what can happen in the playoffs. You know, that's the crazy thing about MLS cup playoffs. I mean, yes, Kansas city is the number one team. They are a very good team, but let me tell you, if we know anything about this league, anybody can be anybody <laughs> on any given day. So, yep. um, you know, they feel like they've got some life, they've got a chance. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be an exciting game on the 20th. 20th. I can't even keep track of all the dates. Whatever day 22nd. Sunday is. 22nd. 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 I don't, I, I can't keep track of it. Yeah. COVID it's it's it COVID times, 2020 <laughs> time is a flat circle, but you bring up that mentality with this team and, and Chris Wondolowski after that game had some just bulletin board worthy quotes, just talking and you could sense the fiery passion, not just, you know, that Almeida's helped inject into this team, but that Wondolowski as a leader on this team has, has really, in, you know, enforced and, and influenced with some of the other players. How has his leadership helped during this turnaround to get this team into the playoffs? And then when you think about just a one and done game postseason and, and the energy and fire that is required of teams to just have that mentality to go out and compete, how crucial is he in, in that piece of this? He's the soul of this club, right? He's the soul and heart of this franchise. And I get sad thinking about next season, excuse me. <coughs> uh, I get sad thinking about next season and the fact that, you know, he'll, he'll be in the stands and, and not on the field. So to me, I think he has been the, 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 the consummate captain um, an excellent leader during good times and bad, his uh, play on the field continues to impress. I mean, I can't believe that he still finds ways to put the ball in the back of the net consistently. He just goes to where the ball is going to be. And um, 
And so if I were a teammate of his, I mean, to me, he is the guy who would be in my mind in this game against Kansas City, right? Like I am going to play for him because if we can put it all out on the field, right, then this won't be his last game. That's that's the mentality that I feel like this team needs to enter into the playoffs with of how can we do right by a guy who has done so right by this club for so long. Yeah, that's that's awesome. There's a great athletic article that uh, our buddy mm-hmm. Jake Pearson showed us on Wondolowski today, and um, I, I thought it was fantastic. Some great quotes from his teammates, but also also from him. And you just mentioned it, Danielle. He just goes to where the ball is going to be. And I just thought he had a fantastic quote where he actually likes it when guys mark him tight because he says, then I know where the ball is going to be and I'll go there at the last second. And fantastic article on him. And um, I think you're right. Maybe his teammates will be playing for him. Is there anything else in the playoffs, maybe outside of uh, this this San Jose uh, and Sporting Kansas City game that you're looking forward to to watching as we get things started? Gosh, you know, I mean, it's been crazy because I feel like with the way that the games have been structured that you've only really seen a small segment of major league soccer, right? Like I haven't, I feel like I haven't even seen Kansas city really. Um, And yet they're in the Western conference, but because they weren't in our regional bubble, we didn't really get to see them that much. Um, I still think of, of the teams I've seen consistently. um, I think Seattle is dangerous. Um, I think LAFC, if you catch them on a on a day when they're firing on, on all cylinders, they're dangerous. I mean, wouldn't this be something if like this is the year they run off and, and go do it all with all of the, the attention they've gotten in the last couple of years? Um, but you know who I'm really excited to see? I'm really excited to see Philly. Um, I think what Jim Curtin has done uh, with the union has been fantastic. I haven't had the chance to see them, them play a ton, only a few games. Um, and so I've just been impressed with the way that they have consistently found a way to grind it out. I think the the depth they have and the way they pay, play collectively has been been really exciting. And so um, that's the team I'm kind of sort of rooting for uh, in the East, even though I don't really have any allegiances to the East. Well, they put it on us in the MLS's back knockout rounds, that's for sure. So we'll see. Uh, I think maybe some people around here are hoping for a rematch in MLS Cup, but got got a long way to go before we get there. Hey, Danielle, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'll hopefully get to talk to you again sometime real soon. Thanks, you guys. All right, that is Danielle Slayton. We'll be back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show right after this. And we're back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show. Nate Bucati, Carter Augustine, Ali Trost with you on the show. And uh, we'll get some final thoughts on this matchup against San Jose. And I want to start with you, Carter. Ali touched on this earlier about the idea of the chip on the shoulder a little bit. And both teams, she said, had have, a, have an opportunity to kind of use that. And I get the real sense from listening to a lot of the national media about this matchup coming up. But there's a whole lot of, yeah, Sporting's the one seed in the West, but we're not buying it. Yeah, they didn't play San Jose, or they didn't, well, they didn't play San Jose, they didn't play Seattle, they didn't play Portland, they didn't play LAFC. So, you know, that's fine that they're the one seed, but nobody's really buying into it. I'm curious if you think that that really sticks in the craw of the Sporting KC players, and is that motivation for them coming into this game? I think it could be, um, you know, we, I think, tend in Kansas City to have that, chip on the shoulder anyways and 
Um, I think Peter Vermees over the years has certainly used the the small market um, chip on the shoulder mentality a few times um, with his team, whether they're at the top of the league or or last year. I, I do feel like that was a something that he could use for the team. So, yeah, I think they maybe will. But then on, in this game, maybe it's not a big, as big a factor for me because they're playing a team against a team that has a similar chip on their shoulder. Everyone in the middle of the season saying their coach is going to get fired, that their style of play doesn't work, that they've been found out, all this and all this, that and the third. So that particular chip, I think maybe sporting, if they can advance, will then pull it out of their pocket. But for but for this one, um, I, I think those two kind of cancel each other out. What about you, Allie? I don't know. I kind of get the sense just hearing Roger Espinosa bring it up and hearing Peter Vermees talk. We We know the kind of coach that Vermees is and the tactics that he employs to get the team fired up and stay motivated throughout a season, whether that's having the standings plastered all over the screens in the locker room and around the facilities, you know, he's always trying to remind his team of where they're at actually. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's also reminding them of where they're at in the minds or in the conversation. And you see it sometimes with like Patrick Mahomes, for example, he'll count on his fingers. He's watching, he's reading social media nowadays. Everyone knows what's going on and whether or not they're going to admit to it or say that, yeah, that, that was something that got us fired up. I, I think that people are more aware of the conversations going on than they might lead on to and, and athletes are definitely no uh, exception there. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit of fire. You look at the MLS end of the year awards as well, Sporting Kansas City not really included in, in much of, of that conversation, not even just in the actual voting, but the conversation that leads to the voting. Um, so, you know, I think this team has something to prove and, you know, has a point to make that they're legitimate. They underwent all of these changes defensively. It looks like a completely different team. They bring in all of these new pieces and the young players stepping up and playing a big role. And, and like Nate said, eh, is that legit? That's kind of the question that a lot of, you know, national media members and, and fans of other clubs have right now for sporting. And I think that, you know, they maybe they're their secondary goal main goal is obviously to go out play their game and win but you know I think that there's a little something to prove there that hey you know what we're doing here is working and we've got we've got something to prove and we'll do that with with wins in the win column and and sending another team home with an L like they hope to do against San Jose. Look every team's motivated in the playoffs and maybe you just don't even need any extra motivation because you just take things to a new level when it's one and done especially Um, I'm here for it though I'm, I've got a chip on my shoulder. I get mad every time I read one of those articles and I'm like, they just dismissed this team as if they didn't have any challenges this year to overcome as if they didn't lose Felipe Gutierrez for the entire year, as if Alan Polito hasn't been in and out of the lineup for different reasons. And they still find a way to get, I get all fired up when I'm reading that stuff. So I'm kind of hoping that that sporting does too, but I do agree. It's going to be a motivated San Jose team. I don't think they're going to get a team that's just coming in here to uh, that, that's just happy to be in the playoffs. I think they will be a scrappy, motivated team. I think these are two teams that embody the personality of their managers and their managers are fiery. And I like that. And I wish this San Jose team was playing somebody else. Cause honestly, I'd be rooting for them against other teams. Cause I just like that, that whole, that whole vibe that they're giving off, but not this time. I'm baby, you know, sporting Kansas city. We want to see him take care of business and advance to the playoffs. Uh, that's going to do it for us guys. Um, our thanks 
to Roger Espinoza and Daniel Slayton. Remind you once again, if you go to sportingkc.com, you can see about the masks that you can purchase to help make sure you donate money. If you buy a mask, it uh, donates 18 meals through Harvesters to families in need. And of course, you can see the information about Roger's uh, efforts to help the humanitarian crisis in Honduras with the hurricanes, uh, hurricanes that uh, they're dealing with down there right now. So with that, we will uh, hopefully be talking to you next week as we get ready for a second round playoff matchup. Again, all the details for this weekend, Sporting KC versus the San Jose Earthquakes. It's at three o'clock on Sunday. You can listen to the game on our sister station, 94.5 FM. It will also be on satellite radio, Sirius XMFC, and you can watch it on Fox Sports 1. We will see you next time on the Sporting Kansas City Show.